Hello captives and captive friends and welcome to episode 80 of the Global Captive Podcast supported by legacy specialists R&Q and hosted by me Richard Kutcher. A reminder to our listeners that if you have not already signed up to our new newsletter to receive all the latest most relevant captive news insights and analysis from Captive Intelligence do make sure you have done that. Captiveintelligence.io is the new home of the Global Captive Podcast and your new home for data-driven commentary on the international captive market. Our weekly long reads are proving particularly popular since we began them in December and we've just published in-depth pieces in the last couple of weeks on more activity concerning ERISA benefits and Department of Labor approvals in the United States, increased use of captives by managing general agents and managing general underwriters, MGAs and MGUs, and utilization of captives by the fast-growing renewables sector. So do make sure you are visiting captiveintelligence.io and signing up to our newsletter. There are links in the episode show notes. On with GCP80 though, and I will introduce our co-host in a moment. Later in the episode, we will hear from Seeker President Dan Toll as final preparations are made for their international conference beginning this coming Sunday, 5th of March. And we will be hosting another GCP Live at the end of the day on Tuesday. So if you're traveling to Seeker, travel safe. And Luke and I are looking forward to seeing you there. I am really pleased, though, to be welcoming our guest co-host for this episode, a risk professional with a long and varied background and experience with captives and currently head of risk management and safety at Wakefern Food Corp, but joining us very much in her capacity as the new president of RIMS. So, Jennifer Santiago, welcome on to the Global Captive Podcast. Thank you so much, Richard. Thank you for having me. No, it's great. Always love to have the president of RIMS on the Global Captive Podcast. And I know, Jennifer, you've got a, a bit of a background with Captive. So let's start there. Can you tell us a bit about your own role currently and, and background and in particular, I guess, your experience with Captives? Yes, certainly. I'm happy to do so. So, you know, over 20 years in risk management and involvement with Captives, really essentially almost entirely through my through my through all of my, my roles and jobs. So, Pretty exciting, you know, early exposure and, and kind of all the way through. I worked at NYU Medical Center and they had a very mature group captive with eight hospitals in New York City. And so that was my my first exposure to captive insurance. I reported to the CFO there and uh, so got very involved in the financials and the structure and really understanding how it operated. And it was a really great introduction to captives, you know, way back then. And then really carried forward in brokerage, uh, getting involved in captive setups and feasibility studies, um, winding down captives at Novartis that when we had, you know, one too many captives and putting them in a, you know, kind of a runoff status and, and you know, extinguishing liabilities. And uh, at Penn State University, I was the president of the captive. So that was uh, interesting and exciting as well. Um, so a lot of exposure there to uh, to that structure and, and decision making. And then most recently in my current role, an association captive. So involvement with group captive and association captive and single parent um, over over the years. Fantastic. Yeah, definitely varied and uh, particularly both setting them up, closing them down and, and different types of captives. I think that definitely gives you a pretty good grounding in uh, all things captives. And I guess you've got lots of peers within RIMS that obviously have captives and, and make great and varied use of 
captives. How, how important do you see the role of captives in uh, in risk financing and as strategic tools to both yourself and and to your risk manager peers? Yeah, I, you know, I think a captive is really a vital tool, and and I you know I think to present day where we're in situations where we're really being required by the marketplace to take such high retentions. Um, there's really, you know, the, it's really the optimal way to, you know, to self-insure and self-fund when you have a large retention. I think that, um, it, it, you know, it's it's a tool that every risk manager should have experience with and um, have exposure to in their career. And honestly, I, I don't know how many companies would operate in this current, you know, hard market environment without having that that tool in their back pocket. So I find it to be, um, you know, an excellent way to fund, you know, fund for losses, anticipate for emerging risks, and to really structure it in such a way that it can be, you know, useful. You know, it's a great financial backstop. And then just on a personal level, right, being involved with a captive and a captive board and, and all the responsibilities that go along with that is also great exposure for a risk management professional. You mentioned there, Jennifer, that obviously the hard market, and we know that captives, of course, are well utilized in all types of market cycles. We, you know, captives are formed and are utilized in soft markets, but they're particularly formed in larger numbers right now during this hard market of the past three years. How how do you think the kind of past three-year market environment has impacted the value and use of, of captives? I mean, I, I'm tempted to say, obviously, it's brought captives back to the fore. It's brought them back into fashion again, if, if ever they were out of fashion. But do you think it has kind of just increased the, the value proposition for captives? A hundred percent. Yeah. I, you know, I, as, you know, as I said, I think the, the rising retentions and, in addition, you know, just really the shrinking capacity, right? So on challenged programs like cyber, right? And property where you, you know, you've got gaps in coverage um, and non-concurrencies and forms, and so, you know, having, you know, a captive as an ability to kind of layer in and, and take a share or a layer, you know, even at the top of your, your coverage tower is critical. Buying down your deductibles for your business since, you know, your business often, your business units don't want to take, you know, a million dollar or two million or a five million dollar retention. So, I, you know, to me, I don't, I don't know that there's really a better alternative solution than to having a captive, you know, available to do, you know, those things for you. And in this market, I haven't looked at the statistics, but I have to believe there's been substantial growth, um, you know, globally. Uh, certainly in the U.S. domiciles, more and more uh, states are becoming friendly uh, to setting up captives, creating friendly legislation that allows for it. So I think it's, you know, it should definitely be on the rise and be a, a critical part of the tool set of the risk, risk manager. Yeah, in terms of those statistics, we're currently in the process of collecting and collating those across all the domiciles around the world. And just a couple to mention, I mean, Vermont, I think two of the this last year, 2022 and 2021 were in kind of their top five best years ever in terms of new licenses around the 40 mark each year, uh, if I'm correct. And North Carolina are one of those newer domiciles you, you reference who I think they've licensed 62 new captives last year and they've really embraced captives. And then obviously places like Hawaii, South Carolina continue to be very popular U.S. domiciles, and and I think you're right that the spread of more U.S. states being open to domiciling captives has helped because obviously some smaller companies might feel more comfortable being in their home state to have their captive. 
you touched before Jennifer on cyber. Um, I was going to ask you specifically about uh, or reference specifically cyber and DNO because they're two lines where you know not tra- haven't traditionally gone into captives in in a great number or great volume. But the, I would say over the last few years, we definitely talk a lot about it now in the context of captives, and we're seeing more innovative innovative uses of captives for for lines such as DNO and cyber. Do you expect? that kind of innovation and and embrace of non-traditional lines to continue? Yes, I I do. You know, I think that from a cyber standpoint, it's, it's really, really tenuous. Um, And uh, you know, the outlook is, is, is not positive. And so companies really need alternative options to fund for exposures, um, you know, in the way that the insurance companies have pulled back and carved out, you know, carved out coverage and, and really shying away from, you know, some of the ransomware and, and, you know, you see the war exclusions coming in from, from London. So I think cyber is really the, the one that's the most challenged. So between, you know, using your captive and then, you know, in the U.S., uh, you know, RIMS has gotten behind um, supporting public-private partnership with the government, you know, related to cyber risk to you know allow for that financial backstop at a very very high level but you know you still have your everyday you know your day to day and you need the captive in there to assume some of those layers so i think for cyber 100% captive is becoming a very useful tool higher retentions and again you you know if you struggle to get the capacity on your in your tower creating you know layers within the within the tower and this is cat coverage it's it's not the if it's the when uh, unfortunately. And so, you know, having the captive as a tool is critical, I think, for cyber. So I expect to see more and more of that. On the DNO side, you know, I think it, I think DNO is, it, it depends on the type of risk and where DNO is more challenged in your financial markets and your financial insurers, your FIs. And so, you know, you have states like Delaware that have created some pretty DNO friendly regulation and legislation to allow for. Uh, you know, the placement of DNO coverage and to cover non-indemnifiable loss, which is a relatively recent change to their their legislation there. So with Delaware starting and laying that groundwork, we can see more of that happening in the states and perhaps globally as well. So I think DNO is uh, kind of, you know, kind of coming up. Cyber, I have to believe, is already happening. I have to believe that companies are turning to their captives and trying to you know put some of their exposure in there when they can yes yeah, cyber as well i think although there's more capacity coming into the market now it i do think the kind of the, the hard the hardening rates and the breadth of coverage is still a, a real challenge where, where captors are increasingly playing a role on the dno side we actually did do a podcast um last year with meta who have done who have made use of that delaware legislation for their hawaii captive and they've done something quite innovative so it'll be interesting to see if we see more cases of captors being used in a similar way to kind of for parts of side A, which were previously not really possible to do in a captive. So I think you're right. We'll have to see how that plays out. And we definitely have, I saw a headline just, just before I came on the call that the DNO, DNO rates are definitely um, going down, I think a bit quicker now in the US. So maybe there's less urgent need to use a captive than there was two years ago for DNO.
Well, we will be back with Jennifer for the second half of our conversation, but let's hear now from Seeker President Dan Toll, who is making the final preparations for their international conference held this year at Rancho Mirage, beginning on Sunday, the 5th of March. Myself and Captive Intelligence Senior Reporter Luke Harrison will be there throughout. I'm really looking forward to speaking and connecting with contacts in Southern California. Dan, welcome back onto GCP. Thank you, Richard. Uh, It's great to be back on the pod and uh, excited to share a little bit about all the planning we have in place uh, to put on a great uh, conference this year. So how is preparations coming along then for the conference? Because I believe, Dan, when you were last at this venue 10 years ago, it got off to a bit of a, a bit of a shaky start. Uh, that That's for sure. For those of uh, you in the industry that have been around for a while, not only do I believe we were challenged with getting there with wildfires that were in the surrounding areas, but during our general session, uh, we had an earthquake. And uh, again, that added a little bit of excitement. Uh, I believe Dennis, my predecessor, came back with some sort of line like, that's the first time our keynote speaker made the earth shake. But uh, we're hopeful <laughs> that's not going to happen, uh, Just, but uh, we'll be prepared for it. Uh, we always put a risk management uh, sort of bulletin out before we start and get everyone prepared for the conference. So what, what's the conference shaping up like uh, numbers-wise? Obviously, last year, March conference in person, you had the full forum the year before. So what, what are you kind of expecting numbers-wise? Right now, numbers are very strong. In fact, uh, we're about 530, which for this point in time prior to the conference is the highest number we've ever had. So things look very good on that front. Uh, at last check, we had more than 110 captive owners. I think we had around a dozen registered prospects. So the numbers are looking really good. Uh, really, really proud of that. We also, uh, this year, much more than last year, have a lot more international attendance. I think with COVID still sort of uh, just getting over, it was a little more difficult for folks to make it in. But I think it's going to make make up to be a great conference this year. And something that struck me last year, Dan, and I think I mentioned it last year, was definitely the changing demographic of uh, attendees. I know that you've obviously had uh, a big effort on the next gen and the Amplify Women side of things with those initiatives. Are you expecting that kind of trend to continue? Because it does seem to be particularly a younger crowd, I guess, in the last couple of years than it has been maybe five years ago. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that we try really hard with, and I have a great program committee that helps support all this, and we also get good advice from Amplify Women and NextGen, is we don't want the panels to just be the same old, same old people. So we, we work really hard to make our panels more diverse, have more young professionals, and certainly more women on, on the panels. And uh, in fact, we're, we're proud to share that this year, 43% of our panelists are women. And I think that's an outstanding number. Uh, I get asked all the time, what's the difference between our conference and others? And I think since we are domicile neutral, we are we are lucky and fortunate enough to be able to draw upon the best of the best of all the jurisdictions out there. And I think that's really what makes the SICA conference special is we're able to draw talent from every sector and they we bring them together at the SICA conference. And the great part about that is that they get to share their ideas. And I think a lot of innovation is is spurned out of those conversations and discussions that unfortunately don't happen at other conferences because they don't have the same makeup or demographics that we have at our conference. Yeah, I think as well, just looking through the agenda, I think you have achieved that in terms of you know new names, obviously plenty of familiar names, of course, because there's some fantastic experienced captive experts in our industry we want to hear from. But yeah, lots of new names on that agenda, a lot of younger names and that good gender balance as well. Um, I'm looking forward to a couple of sessions that I'm running, but 
Dan, what, what were maybe some of the session highlights you'd like to kind of pick out? Well, that's a it's a tough question. I mean, we always have some great uh, next gen and amplify women angled sessions. We have our student essay contest, but I also think with the hard market and all the really fast paced things that are going on in our industry, we have a lot of sessions that really support that talking about innovation and disruption. And uh, we also have a, a session I believe you're going to put on that uh, that I'm excited about because, well, I'll, I'll let you you explain uh, what, what your session's about. Yeah, well, I, I lobbied you for this one, Dan, when we were, when we were in Vermont, I think, last year. And um, because we, have, we are hearing all the time, as you say, about new captives being formed, lots of new captive stories, you know, I wanted to put together a panel of three new uh, captive owners. Uh, and what we have actually is two new captive owners, um, Crystal Blystone from OSP, and Michael Scott from Farmers Business Network, and a third, which is Melissa Hollingsworth, um, with Atlanta Housing, who is in the process of hopefully forming a captive later this year. So we're going to hear from those three about their experiences of you know why they thought why they wanted to form a captive, the feasibility process, how to choose a domicile, and their experience with all of that. And also from Melissa, you know uh, what stage she's at in that process and and you know, what she's looking to get out of it. You know in terms of forming a captive, hopefully towards the end of the year. So really looking forward to hosting that session because personally, I, I kind of. Look, the captive consultants are great and we like to hear from them, but it's nothing better really than hearing direct from those insurance buyers who have turned to a captive uh, particularly recently. Absolutely. And we, we try very hard to have uh, at least one captive owner on all of our panels and are very su successful with doing that. Because like you said, it, we have incredible consultants and service providers, but ultimately they want to hear from the captive owner and what their experience has been. Yeah, to totally agree. And um, to be honest, you know, we've had a couple of prep calls and they're all quite different uh, businesses and they're all quite unique uh, businesses. They're not kind of your typical big industrial businesses that have had captives. They're all quite new areas. One of them is a large technology company. So yeah, I think they've all got quite different experiences and, and quite different reasons for having captives. And then of course, we also have the return of GCP Live at the end of Tuesday, just before people have a, a drink to round off the the couple of days. I think, Dan, you were gonna, we're going to have you on that panel. And again, we've got um, eight different guests lined up to talk about captive innovation. We're going to ask everyone what the kind of most innovative thing they've seen in captives is. And we're going to have some captive trivia as well. So again, I really appreciate you, you letting us host a live recording of the Global Captive Podcast at Seeker. Yeah, well, I, I'll share another statistic with you. This has never happened before. Tuesday night was the first night that sold out at the hotel. <laughs> and, and, and I think that there you go. Uh, I do know that uh, people loved uh, it was one of our most highly rated sessions last year was the was the GCP live. And we've also you know, we have a great closing reception. And I think people have really decided that, that that's they can't miss that anymore. So, uh, again, we're we're super excited with the, the turnout. And uh, I think it's fun to do things like GCP live. And everyone really got into it last year. So I'm looking forward to it. I, I just hope the trivia questions aren't too difficult for us. Yeah, I don't know. I, we'll, we'll keep it similar theme. We did the higher or lower regarding domicile numbers last year, and we're going to do something a little bit similar, but it might be a bit more granular. I think it was a bit too easy, Dan, uh, <laughs> last time, although your team did get 100% and the other team did struggle. So we'll have to see. I do recall it was sort of, there was an older group versus a younger group. <laughs> and the younger group, while they, they definitely scored the most points when it came to smack talk, I think we scored the most points when it came to the knowledge piece. 
that's that's fair <laughs> that's fair and i'm not sure if i'm gonna split you up along the same lines this year but um it was competitive and we like it that way and we'll have to see how you stack up because we did a similar thing in luxembourg at the european captive forum in november they weren't against each other they were working as a team that time but i think the americans did stack up well so dan really looking forward to seeing you in uh, rancho mirage i'm looking forward to it as well Are there other areas, Jennifer, um, or, or lines of insurance you expect to see captives maybe used more often in the coming years? Yeah, you know, I don't know what to make of the property market anymore. It's uh, it's just become, <laughs> you know, just uh, untenable, really. It's really just the, the options and, on property are, are so, so slim. And, and you know, it, it's not surprising to look around and see the level of, of you know, property, you know, catastrophic losses that are are going on and the frequency, right? The frequency, the severity have just increased. And so all the climate change models and all of that, you know, that come to fore, uh, trying to predict, you know, how often we'll be having these catastrophic losses. So, you know, the property market has become uh, very, very challenged. All of my peers that I talked to were all struggling for solutions and alternatives and, you know, using different parametrics and, you know, cat bonds and, and, you know, different kinds of alternative risk. So I think that captives are another alternative, of course, to, you know, to layer in um, on your property program. And I think just, you know, the cautionary tale is always trying to understand your risk and your risk exposure and how well you're managing because we can't prevent mother nature. And so the wind storms and floods and all of these things that have increased in frequency as a result of climate change can't prevent them from happening. So all you can do is preventative, you know, on the on the risk management side and the risk mitigation side, and then having the financial backstop. So I think property is one that we may see, you know, more organizations putting, you know, different extents uh, of layers into the captive where they can afford to take that cat risk. And then perhaps on medical benefits, I always think, you know, benefits are another very challenged area. And uh, some more, more companies might see a way to structure their benefits uh, for some kind of financial financial advantage in the captive. Yeah, it's interesting, Jennifer. I'm really pleased you actually mentioned property there because I think we, in the media and kind of captive commentary, we, we probably get a bit too excited about new areas uh, such as cyber and DNO that I mentioned previously, and maybe we don't talk enough about, I don't know whether you call it vanilla or or the basics of, of captives. Obviously, we know workers' compensation is a particular big driver of captive business in the US and property has been in captives for a long time. So I'm glad you, you mentioned something like property, which sounds so simple, but is such a big challenge for so many companies. And the captive can play a, a, a real vital role and is playing a real vital role in, in solving some of those challenges. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think the reinsurance market has been so, so... Uh, difficult, you know, these last couple of years um, on the property side. And so we're, you know, I think most risk managers are scratching their head and just saying, we're, you know, we're kind of running out of options, you know, what, what can we do? So this is definitely a, a critical tool to have in the tool set. Obviously, captives are have never been as well known or as well utilized as as they are today. That's kind of a default position. Hopefully, we'll always have more exposure on captives than we have previously. But do you believe there is still an education or perception challenge regarding captives and and why they are used? Because 
I'm, I'm aware of many companies that probably should have captives or should have had captives many years ago, but just haven't done it for whatever reason. Do you think there is still more kind of education we could be doing about captives and, and their value? I, I think that there is. I, you know, I think that, and it probably that education needs to really get to the CFOs and the CEOs of, of organizations. Risk managers need to know it as well, but I think to get it, you know, kind of elevated within the organization so that they understand, you know, the purpose and the value. Um, I think risk managers sell it and, and, you know, sometimes they might need a, they might need reinforcements. Setting up a captive is there's, there's, you know, there's legal and regulatory and tax uh, requirements and implications and things that all need to be thought through. And, and just from an inception, right, there needs to be a, a thought about, you know, what problem am I trying to solve? Right. And so really getting clear on, on, you know, what the purpose is of the vehicle, I think is the place to start. And, uh, you know, using the, the right service providers and, and working through the, the, all of the legal regulatory tax uh, requirements because it is a licensed regulated insurance company. So um, I, I think that may be overwhelming at times and, and seem that the juice isn't worth the squeeze, so to speak. And, and, and so making that as reasonable and um, simple, I guess, to a degree as possible would, would go a long way and helping, you know, helping to understand what needs to go into it. And then once it's set up, right, there's always the ongoing, the management, the board meetings and things like that. And that does require a certain amount of work. But again, translating that value into action, I think is critical. So more education at the CEO, CFO level, I think would probably go a long way, um, along with getting the risk managers on board. You know, certainly there's, what do they say? Never waste a good crisis, right? We're in the midst of, and have been in the midst of a very, very challenged insurance market. And so this is the time to really think about, you know, what are the tools uh, in our tool chest? And I think boards of directors should be expecting, you know, this is an option as well to, you know, to finance risk. I, I smiled when you said the juice isn't worth a squeeze because we actually had a podcast episode titled that about two or three years ago. Uh, <laughs> we, we used to do a slightly different type of episode, like a magazine style episode of a couple of um, younger risk managers. It was actually Karen Z at University of California that yeah. uh, used that phrase. I can't I can't remember in what context she was saying it, but it, I, it made me smile at the time, which is why we actually called the episode uh, that. So it's funny to, to hear it again. I think the CEO, CFO podcast Point is a really good one and is kind of a bit of the holy grail for i guess you could say the captive consulting world right is to, to really get it onto their agenda which of course has benefits for the salespeople of captives but i think you're right i mean the value is the value is there if you use these tools correctly right you know if the market is really dictating that you have to take higher retentions well then you're you know you're running all of that through your balance sheet that's where your claims are happening most likely that's where your frequency is and and potentially your severity and so you know running it through the balance sheet and 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 then you know trying to trying to reserve and following the accounting rules around that it can be pretty cumbersome i would think and so you know this is where the captive really creates a, a nice mechanism for you know for that Oh, and we do have um, a captive session called Captive Land on the Tuesday at Risk World in Atlanta. And it's about, you know, forming a captive. So it should be a really excellent educational opportunity for those, you know, looking to learn more about the captive industry. Yes. And I am very much looking forward to being at Risk World in Atlanta, which is April 30th through to May the 3rd. Um, I've never been to Atlanta before, apart from passing through uh, transferring. So excited to explore. Uh, See yourself in person, Jennifer. Go to the captive 
captive land session and definitely chat captives with anyone else that wants to talk captive in terms of rim other rims activity this year you know legislative legislative and, and regulatory priorities in 2023 uh, are, there, are there any priorities which which rims are looking at in the coming year yes um yeah we've got I, you know i guess i would say probably three main priorities um you know one i, I referenced which is the the federal box backstop around cyber and uh you know creating that sort of public private partnership between insurance companies and the federal government to um, respond for you know systemic and really kind of everyday cyber risk ransomware um, and those kinds of things so cyber is a big one um, and rim submitted a position paper to the government uh, to try to you know elevate the importance there the second is really around pandemic risk insurance uh, you know and it's really looking at it modeling it after you know tria or tripra and, and the terrorism risk insurance act after 9-11 so, you know, we all learned a lot from the pandemic. We learned what we don't know and how we were not prepared. And, um, you know, certainly the idea of creating some kind of federal backstop for, you know, the when and the if of the next communicable disease outbreak uh, seems pretty critically important. So that's uh, that's the second one. And then always national flood insurance program, the US focus around backstops for uh, catastrophic flood. We had Hurricane Sandy, we've had a number of different pretty substantial flood related losses. And, uh, and it's just another way to just have the government, you know, really partner with the insurance companies to, you know, make uh, things more feasible for, you know, for the everyday organization to be able to stay in business. Fantastic. Well, we'll look forward to keeping track of all of those things. I mean, I'm definitely aware of some of the efforts around the, the pandemic facility, and I'm very aware of, of, of TRIA or TRIPRA because it's been such a topic of conversation in the captive world for so many years. And of course, we know many US domicile captives make use of, of the terrorism risk insurance program. But Jennifer, uh, really great to have you on to the Global Captive Podcast, and I look forward to seeing you in Atlanta. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you.